So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast and I'm really pleased that I'm joined by Dr Neelu Ahmed and it's somebody that I've been wanting to speak to for quite a long time. So I'm really pleased that that you've joined us, particularly given that we're going to be talking during Mental Health Awareness Month. So thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, what we're going to do is talk about having a sense of purpose. That's one of the things I want them to look at and and look at a few other things as well. But very briefly, could you just set the scene for our listeners and tell them about your current role and obviously some of your research interests as well? So currently I am a psychologist at the dental school at the University of Bristol. And it might seem odd, but all of health sciences really need to have that psychological interest and, and that impact of how we engage with patients. So what I teach my students is communication skills, being able to communicate effectively with all the patients that they are likely to see. Um, As well as that, I am a psychotherapist. So I work with patients across uh, a range of different mental health presentations in private practice. And I have a really complex background as well. So my educational background includes not just psychology, but gerontology, working with old people and geography. So that's very specific people and place and age and belonging. All of those things are the things that fascinates me when it comes to my research. What we're going to talk about is um, this article that you've written recently, and obviously something that's very important to you based on on your your background as well. But it's about having a sense of purpose. Um, So I I thought we, we might start by asking, why is having a sense of purpose so important? We know that it's really important to have a sense of purpose from all of the research that has been accumulated across the world and over a very long period of time that a sense of purpose gives us almost something to strive for even when we're not thinking about it it's that driving force it helps us to make decisions it's that almost that subconscious way of filtering out what it is we want to do what matters what doesn't matter And it can be really broad. Sometimes people find it very difficult to define what their purpose is. But when they reflect across their life, they've had this driving force and it suddenly makes sense. And they'll say, oh, actually, there is a thread. It's almost like the red thread that runs through your life. There's a thread that guides all of us. And we know that it's associated with better mental health, better physical health, less loneliness and having a purpose. It, it is one of those things that all of us need to have. And it's different from finding meaning to your life. Is, is that right? Or is it interconnected? Yeah, they are related. And, and, the per- and they may come in a different way. Some people might find meaning and then through that identify their purpose. Other people might have a purpose and then find activities that bring meaning. So your purpose might be something as broad as helping others and that could look very different depending on who you are so for educators that would be through their job through educating children or in my case adults and older students it could be being a doctor it could be volunteering it could be going to read to somebody in hospital so there's a range of uh, activities that could fit under that umbrella of purpose of helping people and we'll find meaning in different things so for some of us we'll suddenly find meaning in a piece of music that might resonate with something, a moment from our childhood or our relationship. 
And that meaning, again, is very subjective and personal. So are there certain points in our lives when we find it difficult to have a sense of purpose? You talk there about if you're in education and then you leave education, you retire. Mm. Does that sometimes happen? Very often. And very often, especially with something like education or health, the work really drives people. And it is something that people's identities can be very strongly intertwined with their work. And when that ends because of retirement or because of choices that people make about stepping away from work, suddenly our sense of identity of who we are gets lost and people begin to wonder where the meaning in their life is, if if it all been stacked in that place of, of work. And people can struggle to identify what their purpose is and what the meaning of life is and where they are going in their life and, and almost feel like they're starting again. Hmm. Very often, we're not starting from scratch. What we're doing is having to reevaluate and think about what stays. So if the work has gone, if the nine to five has gone or the nine to six has gone from our lives, what is it about that time of work that we continue to do? And often we'll identify the things that matter. So for some people, it might be the social connections, being able to see people every day and having those conversations and being able to connect in that way. For other people, it might be something quite meticulous, a little bit of doing work um, as a researcher, I love reading things. So it might be, okay, I'm not doing it in my job, but is there something else that I could use those skills, those things that gave me meaning and that I enjoyed in my newer space of life now? It's about, um, you know, like empty nest syndrome. Do you ever come across that where, where people have, have, you know, seen their children go off to university um, and that's they have nurtured those children and then... Have they lost their sense of purpose? Because we talk there about retirement, but what about that? You know, different mm-hmm. stages of people's lives. Does that happen as well? Yeah, and, and when I work with mums and parents who have this feeling and often relationships change. So it's not just the, the children leaving home. What It just means that you're having a bit more time with your significant other at home and you have to talk to each other a bit more. It's, you don't, the conversations are not just about children. And people look at each other as if they're strangers because there's a renewed sense of getting to know your partner as well. And those relationships with children as they move into adulthood change. And a lot of that work is about thinking about what has been lost and what stays and that relationships don't end. They just change. They transform. Mm. So your children will need you in a slightly different way. So that purpose might be to be a great parent. And that never ends. But the things that you will be doing for your children when they're toddlers is very different to when they're teenagers, very different to when they're adults. And so being mindful and aware that you're still a great parent, you're still Mm. living that purpose of being the best parent you can, but your children just need you in slightly different ways at the moment. And it's an ebb and flow of relationships. And what about young people? Because for me, it was so long ago, I can't remember being a teenager and whether I ever, ever considered having a a purpose I certainly had goals and I had aims and I had ambitions um what's it like for young people today in in, in the research that that you've done do, do they actually use that terminology having a purpose it's interesting we are seeing more and more young people trying to connect with having a purpose and I wonder if this is 
to do a lot with social media and the language that people have and the awareness of all of these big concepts. And you're absolutely right. For many young people, and certainly in the past, the focus was more on goals and people would have identifiable goals. And that was great because you could have a goal and you could meet it. You could say, well, I've passed my exams now. I'm going to university. I've reached these goals. And you're, it's almost like a tick box and you're ticking off that list and you can feel a sense of achievement. And if that goal didn't work for you, you'd find another goal. But purpose is so intangible. It's this vague concept. And when you don't know what your purpose is, and many young people don't, and of course, it's it's one of those things that we sort of grow into, that it can feel a little bit um, unwieldy. And people might think about what is that purpose for them. And it's often one of the things that people, young people struggle with. And it can lead to anxiety and stress because it's a sense of almost not fitting in the world. And purpose is one of those grounding things. Once we identify what our purpose is, it's almost like an anchor. It really grounds us to the place that we're in, the space we're in and the people around us, because it gives us a sense of, OK, this is what I want to do. This is why my connection. How am I going to go and do that? So that's our starting point, And we can set goals that align with that purpose. In terms of society today, that society, I would say for certain people, it's a more secular society. If you have a faith, is it easier mm. to have a sense of purpose? Yes, it is, but it's not necessary. So what faith does for many people who have faith, it gives you almost a blueprint. It gives you a guidebook that your purpose is to pray however many times a day. It's to be a good person, however we define goodness. It's to do unto others as you would want done to yourself. So it's almost a guidebook for saying, this is why we're here. We're here to worship a creator we're here to do as we have been told by this guidance a set of rules and regulations and that works really well if you're able to meet most of those for the large part but uh, when people begin to find that their lives somehow sometimes move away from those um, prescriptions of faith it can lead to people really questioning their purpose and questioning whether they're worthy of that purpose so often people who do have faith, have moments where there will be a little bit of uncertainty over that. And so having purpose that aligns with faith is almost more productive than having a purpose that is fully fixed in the faith. So the, the big tenets of faith and religion, pretty much whether you are a believer in a particular faith or not, applies to everyone, you know, do good, be good, be, you know, be mindful of helping others, all of those things. Now, on a more general, in a more general sense, do you have any tips for our listeners who may be, you know, wanting some advice on developing um, a sense of purpose? Have fun with it would be my first thing. It's, it's just, they're so broad, something like a sense of purpose. Like I say, it could just be, I want to be a good person. I want to live a meaningful life. I want to help others. And what can that might that look like for you? And actually, you might not, they might not be your purpose at all. Um, you might find something that's much more, much more specific to your skill set. What we do know about purpose is that it tends to be outside of ourselves. So it tends to have something to do with others, helping others. 
or being involved with others, because that social connection is so important to us as human beings. It might be that your purpose is more aligned with animals. You might not be great to talk to people, but you would volunteer at an animal shelter, or you might be involved in something like that. So it's that sense of engagement and reward that comes externally that fulfills that sense of purpose. And so we always, when I do this work with individuals, like we talk about what our values might be. And again, that is a concept that we don't think about. Um, we all know we have values, but if, when I ask people to list them, they'll come up with a few straight away, which we all have. We all want, you know, we all think we're honest. Honesty is important to us. Loyalty is important to us. Trust. And then suddenly we, the people sit there going, I don't know what else. And and so we then sort of think about what else is important to you? What are the things that you find important in others and that you would use to, de to describe yourself? And as you undertake this task, words like curiosity or fun might emerge and, and they give you that sense of, okay, if I wanted to identify a purpose, I'd put all of these words and other things that emerge from that that would be useful for me. Now, you mentioned there as, as well about interconnectedness um, and being connected with other people. Do you have any views on reports that have come out just this week uh, about loneliness and its impact on people? I think I read somewhere that it, if you're lonely, it's worse than smoking or you know, do, do you have any any sort of um, insight on 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 that? You're right. I mean, there is data and research that tells us that loneliness has greater negative impacts on our health than something like smoking. And what we have long thought, or when when you think of somebody lonely, often people will go will imagine an older person being lonely. But actually, loneliness is something that people experience across the life course, and it's in really high rates among young people as well. And it's the reasons for loneliness differ across age groups. So as people get older, often that loneliness comes from the loss of their significant other. It might come from the loss and people dying in their friendship group. So they become lonelier because their group has become more and more sparse. And then you mentioned earlier the empty nest syndrome. Some people might become lonely during middle age because their children are leaving home earlier on. It's for different reasons. So I might find that, you know, people might have their, their friends are going off having getting married, having children. So that means that that group that they were connected with is not available to them. For young people whose identities are just forming, they may feel enormous amounts of pressure to belong in one or another group, but it don't quite fit and that sense of not fitting can lead to a sense of withdrawal and, and loneliness. And so it has different reasons that people are lonely across the lifespan. But the impacts are really significant because we begin to question our worth. We begin to question our meaning and our purpose is that if I don't have what I had before, then what is the point? What am I doing? How do I engage again? And it raises so many questions. And it has a real knock-on effect because loneliness is linked with um, physical and other mental health illnesses as well. Yeah, I remember, you know, changing changing jobs when I was actually in my twenties, and it was quite interesting that I did feel quite quite lonely because I'd done that on my own, and then sometimes trying to go out and join clubs 
and do other things actually made me feel lonelier because I then couldn't actually connect with people. It was like I would go, I would play the sport and then I'd go home again because people were there for different reasons. So it isn't always easy, is it, when you, as you say, when when you're younger and sometimes doing things to try to counteract the loneliness can actually make you lonely, feel lonelier. Absolutely. And making friends as an adult is one of the hardest things that we do. And it always amazes me that there are so many people who are friendless or will identify themselves as friendless as not being able to make friends. And I think in a given space, there are probably multiple people who feel the same way. But it's not something people like to admit to, to say that I don't have friends uh, and I'm looking for a friend. And we always look at our period in our childhood when you were forced in school and it was so easy to make friends. Just go and talk to people, that vulnerability, that openness. And as we get older, we get more and more nervous about exposing vulnerability, about saying I need this or I'm feeling lonely because we are expected just to know things, to be in the world and be fine and be sufficient and be enough. And so all of those feelings, when we're not enough, we begin to internalize and feel, actually, I'm not good enough. And of course, that sets into motion a, a whole cycle of thinking of, if I'm not good enough, then I'm not good enough to be somebody's friend. So I better not engage and fear of rejection. All of these things are just playing out one after the other. And it creates a situation where something that could be relatively straightforward of saying, uh, trying to connect with someone, it becomes uh, something that is fraught with all sorts of negative possibilities. And so when you work as a therapist, what kind of advice would you be giving to people then? Not that I want a three therapy session on our podcast, but (laughs) I thought I'd use your experience. Is there any advice you could give to some of our listeners who just, you know, have really um, connected with what you've said there? If you're feeling lonely, it's worth spending some time to think about what would counteract that loneliness for you. Mm. Um, Because for some people, it's not about having lots of people. It's maybe having one or two people, but it's smaller connections. It's feeling safer. And a lot of loneliness is when we feel we're less likely to feel lonely if we feel safe. And so it's not about I'm going to go along to big group where we're going to do these great activities it's more about I just like to talk to one or two people and it might not even involve talking I'm thinking here of things like chess clubs we're actually not doing a lot of talking it's a lot more mental thinking but you're in a space you're connected with somebody um, and you don't have to have that verbal connection and that relationship very slowly builds and it builds confidence as well So I would say to people to think about what they need in their lives what is the thing that they would enjoy to to do socially and with others and to think about what they enjoyed in the past as well often that's a really good way of thinking about how do I take something from my past Mm. and apply that to where I am now so as a child you might have enjoyed being creative and drawing so there may be an adult art class that you might want to go to you might have been crafty so thinking about other sewing classes or craft clubs that you could go to or sports Um, And so those would be a good starting point to think about what might be the space that I want to do that in. And then thinking again about develop the confidence to do that, because sometimes you identify your goal and then you just think, I don't know how to do that. I'll feel so vulnerable to go to a group. And I often say to people, talk to someone. So if there is an art class that's being run by someone, 
and give them a call and, and find out, get yourself informed. So how many people usually go to this? If, I'm expect, if I know what to expect, if I know there's 10 people, I know there's 10 people. But if I don't know, and then I turn up and there's 15 people or 10 people or four people, I, it might throw me because it feels mm. so unfamiliar. So the more we can do to minimize the unfamiliarity, mm. the easier it is for us to go in feeling a sense of safety. Good. Okay. Excellent. Um, I want to turn our attention now to, to younger people. Um, and I read the article that you wrote about uh, quiet quitting uh, and how that could make you a happier person. Now, I've not come across that term before, so it might be worth just explaining to our listeners what, what you meant by that and um, how it can make you a better or a happier employee. So it's a bit of a misnomer, I think. Um, so I, I am a great fan of literation. So I think that's why it took off. It's not my term. Um, it is something that has taken generally employers, particularly large employers, um, and caused them some consternation. It is something that has come as ever from young people and advice from young people on social media. And, and the premise of it is not that we're quitting work. It is that a recognition that people are working far longer hours um, than we used to work. And certainly in COVID and working from home, that blurring of the boundary between home and work happened for all of us. And there have been research that has shown that people are working on average 10 hours a week more than they were pre-COVID. And so because we're not commuting anymore, so we sit down a little bit earlier and then think, well, you know, I'm not commuting, I might as well finish this email. And it just creeps up. And so what's the recognition of this term quite quitting is actually we're pulling back we're pulling back and only doing the work that we are contracted for, that we are paid for, the hours that we are paid for. So actually, it's not quitting your work. It's just a movement against that 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 constant hustle, that constant overworking. And there is something about modern society that almost glamorizes overworking and the people who turn up early, stay late. And actually, it's not good for our health. We all know it's not good for our health. But as with so many of the things that do the most damage to us, we don't see it until we've it's had taken its toll. So after years of overworking, that wear and tear on ourselves suddenly leads to limiting long-standing illness in your 40s. But it's probably work that you started in your 20s when you started to overwork. But in our youth, we can get away with it. But as, as suddenly at some point, it starts to all grind to a bit of a halt. I'm going to come to our final question. Um, if there were 25 hours in a day, what would you do with the extra hour? Oh, gosh. I want to cram so much in. Um, what would I do? Something crafty, I think. Um, so that that's where my joy is. Uh, and so and it would probably be crafty with someone else. <laughs> So it might be running a craft club for children or in a in a charity. So I'd get the the benefits of both. I'd get the benefit of having that social interaction and also doing something that brings me joy as well. And a sense of purpose. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Nilu, can I say thank you so much for joining us on today's show? Um, there are so many things that we could have talked about in a lot more depth, but I hope in Mental Health Awareness Month 
some of the things that you've talked about there have really helped our listeners. Um, and uh, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. You have been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.